I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I don't actually know your name. I'm Jesus of Nazareth. Hmm. Well, apparently something good can come from Nazareth. <laughs> This hasn't happened before. We've done several two-part episodes of the show, but never a three-parter. But when Dallas Jenkins, the creator, writer, and director of The Chosen, finally got to hear our recent conversations with composers Dan Hasseltine and Matthew S. Nelson, he reached out and said that he'd love to be on the podcast as well. We had wanted to have him join us as part of one of the previous episodes, but he was in the middle of a big move and just couldn't clear his schedule. After his recent trip to Italy, which, yes, included a visit with the Pope, he dropped me a line and we set up a conversation. Hello, I'm John J. Thompson, and welcome to a special edition of the True Tunes podcast. In addition to this being an unprecedented part three, this is only the second time we've hosted a creative who was not first a musician. Dallas and I will be digging a bit deeper into his thoughts on the music behind The Chosen, who the show's audience actually is, the freedom of not caring what some people think, and more. If you haven't heard part one with Dan or part two with Matthew, you might want to check those out first just for context, but there aren't any spoilers here. You can listen in whatever order you like. Make sure not to miss those, though. But before Dallas and I get into it, let's take care of a little housekeeping. Dallas Jenkins is a busy guy. In addition to visiting with the Pope in Italy, he's deep into writing season three of The Chosen. The show, which is entirely paid for by fans, has been watched more than 250 million times in its first two seasons. It's the biggest crowdfund media project in history, and the company is in the middle of building their own studio and soundstage in Texas. Jenkins always has a lot on his plate, so taking an hour to talk is something I don't take for granted. First question I had for you, just kind of generally speaking, when you knew you were going to do this, you were going to take the story of Jesus and his followers and and tell it in an episodic way, what were your first thoughts about how you wanted to incorporate music into that? How did music factor in right at the very beginning when you started thinking through that? Because it's going to be different when you're thinking about it episodically than if you're thinking about it in terms of just a one-shot film. Yeah, I don't think that would have made the difference musically, movie versus show. I think the, the approach would have been the same uh, in that my decision to tell the stories of Jesus in this way, meaning primarily through the eyes of those around him, uh, doing it in a way where you've got multiple backstories, where you're really focused on telling the same stories you've heard before, but giving context uh, that is usually absent from most Jesus projects. Um, wanting it to not feel presented, uh, you know, formal. Uh, that's something that I've always not been a fan of in a lot of the Jesus projects that I've seen is they feel like paintings. 
uh, right. and, and Jesus Jesus speaks in a in a very for, he usually he's usually just quoting King James scripture, scripture the whole time, yeah. uh, and I just I just have never been able to connect on an authentic level to it, and then they all have the same typically the same style of music, so what I said early on when I decided when I had my idea for the show, and when I started presenting to people what I wanted to do with it was everything is going to be about um you know i I don't know if disruptive is the right word but i I wanted to feel authentic which happens to be for you know better or worse disruptive uh compared to most jesus projects or religious projects and so from the beginning i was thinking this has to look different it has to feel different i want it to feel raw i find it want it to feel real what music communicates raw authentic intimate urgent all of that and and the first thing that came to mind was um you know southern gospel and uh, slave spirituals that kind of thing and uh, but but i didn't want to have, i didn't want there to be any rules like i just wanted there to be we're, you know we're gonna uh, the reason that i thought of slave spirituals the reason that i thought of uh some of this kind of rootsy stuff was as dan mentioned on the podcast that uh we wanted to capture the music of oppression but oppression mixed with hope and there is no other form of music. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there are multiple forms of music like this, but none that are better or at least more impactful than uh, what was written back during sl- slave times. These songs of p- these people who were so oppressed and yet were still finding hope and finding mm. beauty in the midst of it. And so that's what was happening 2,000 years ago, uh, mm. it, it just in a different form. All that to say, um, Dan Hasseltine, I believe, is is a genius who changed my life. Uh, when I first heard Jars of Clay's first album, uh, I was a freshman in college, and I had grown up on the Gaithers and Sandy Patty and Lionel Harris. I grew up in a very fundamentalist Christian environment. And I think when I heard Jars of Clay, it didn't sound like a, a Christian version of something better. It sounded like just great music altogether. And the things that they were saying were things I'd never heard in Christian music before. Um, just... Things like, you know, seems too easy to call you Savior, but not close enough to call you God. So as I sit and think of words that I can mention to show my devotion, I want to fall in love with you. And I'm going, I've never heard anyone talk like that in a, in a Christian song. Like, like oh, I'm try- I can't even think of the right words to say because they don't seem to make sense. And I'm like, wow, I, everything I've heard so far has always seemed so arrived. So mm. uh, Dan and I, uh, I ended up meeting him and we became really good friends over the last 20 years. And the very first movie I ever made, he scored. And, uh, and then we hadn't worked together again. But anyway, I just thought the only way this show is going to work is if the music is unique and interesting and a part, a character in the show and saying something that communicates. And I don't want to do the show if Dan can't do it. And so uh, I talked to him and I just said, I need you to do it. I don't want to do it without you. And you have complete and total freedom to try anything. And ultimately, I'm, of course, the final say. But like this, we're going to explore. We're going to push the envelope. And uh and I think that's a huge, huge part of what makes the show feel uh, compelling and different for people. You've made some interesting artistic choices when it comes to that balance between cultural and historical authenticity. Um, but then there's other things uh, that you do bring in kind of a modern Western sensibility, some of the 
kind of the joke cliches, the phrases that are funny and they help modern audiences connect to it. Um, what, how are you making those decisions as you go as an artist, as a storyteller, kind of what's in the matrix for you? Where, when you bend and when you uh, recoil, when, you, when you're given and taking on those things towards authenticity, towards creative expression, how, how do you kind of make those calls as an artist? That's a really great question, and I'm going to push back just a little bit um, on the notion that some of these phrases are modern or intended to modernize the story. It, when you think about it, the fact that we've chosen English as the language to speak in the show, well, then every word is modern. I mean, the word right. the didn't exist <laughs> right. 2,000 years ago. But they did have Hebrew equivalents of all of this stuff. But there are multiple phrases that some people have said, oh, that's, that's uh, anachronistic. And I go, well... Again, all of the words we're using are anachronistic. None of these words existed sure. back then, but they did have Hebrew equivalents. And sure. especially in the Jewish faith, humor, sarcasm, uh, yeah. ribbing, all of that stuff is extremely common. So yeah. I actually don't necessarily believe, I, I'm, sure I've, I've, I'm sure I've crossed the line a few times, but I think that overall, this humor style, this uh, sarcasm, the ribbing, all of that stuff feels modern to us because every Jesus project or Bible project we've ever seen has had a formality to it. Right. But I'm just not so sure it's as modern as, as we think it is. Or as, uh, at least I just as think radical. It sounds, it's not as much of a departure because it's human nature. We're, right, that's how we relate right. to each other. So it's common. And right. We, you know, right. right. Yeah. But now when so it comes to things we're, like we're, those language, when you say like Shabbat yes. versus Jesus, that's an interesting, yes. you know, you've got one that's Hebrew and one that's kind of like a, Jesus doesn't appear in the Bible until Switzerland, until the Geneva Bible, like 1,500 years after. So, you, you know, right. but then that's what we all know his name as, even though it's a, a very modern thing. So how do you make those kinds so, of choices? Yeah. So I think it's just, it, it is as, and I don't mean to sound uh, dismissive of my, of my, of the weight of the responsibility, but it, it's, it's one of those, we just know it when we see it. Uh, hmm. we, we, it feels like, for example, they say Ima for the most part in the show. We hear the word mother occasionally. We hear the word mom occasionally, but from primarily it's Ima, which is a, a Hebrew word for mother. Um, I think we're trying to be authentic in the sense that, you know, we, we have those kinds of words even in our current English language, like where we use words that are French in their origin or that are... Uh, uh, I, I could name, name, a, name a, a culture yeah. that, you know, even when you use the term baguette, for example, I mean, right. um, even though that's a, a French term, we use it sometimes to just describe things. Uh, I'm probably not giving the best examples, but patio. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, pronunciations that are unique. Accents are different, even in different parts of the country. Uh, when you go to the South, you hear different Southern accents. And so I've heard some people say, oh, the accents weren't consistent in, aren't consistent in The Chosen. And I'm like, that's purposeful because yeah. their accents aren't consistent in Chicago, where I'm from. Uh, some people have a harsher Chicago accent than others, and some people have no accent. So it really, we, 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 we do try to, we're trying to be as authentic as possible without crossing the line into feeling so foreign that it's hard to connect with. And so right. that's why the decision to use Jesus was, uh, you know, we, we say at the beginning of episode one, we've, we've transliterated the, the, the language. And so um, all of the disciples' names are the traditional names that we've heard before. Um, it just felt like if we would have changed them all to their Hebrew equivalents, it would have just been a bridge too far. It would have taken people too long right. 
to, to get caught up in it. And already, if you watch episode one of season one, there are many Christians, far more than the non-Christians who've seen it, who express confusion because they have such significant expectations. They're not used to watching a Jesus show where the first 45 minutes there's no Jesus. And so they're not used to watching it like they would any other pilot episode of a show. And so if we would have right. made their names different from their usual names, it would have been even more hard for them to follow. Right. It's interesting that the non-Christians who've watched it uh, in many ways have an easier time. You're in an interesting point of tension because uh, you could just create a film or create a series telling the story and change all the character names and do whatever you want creatively, but you've got, uh, you've got a commitment to be as authentic as you can, but there has to be a certain amount of freedom for you as an artist to both test some things and, and have it be creative and fun and as well as collaborate with people like Dan and Matthew and, you know, have music that is also anachronistic. I agree with everything you're saying, and it is an extraordinarily fine line. And I think that every decision we make, and, I, and I'm not exaggerating when I say this, every decision we make that's measurable, that's significant, is going to send certain people into fits of despair and anger and send certain people into fits of euphoria. I have heard from people every day, and I'm not exaggerating when I say that, every single day I hear that I'm a blaspheming heretic, and I hear at the same time that I'm a, a life-changing um, you know, prophet, uh, or that I've done something that has changed their family's lives or whatever. And oftentimes it's for the exact same decision. <laughs> so for example, I'll just give you a very quick example. The decision to have Jesus uh, in season two preparing his sermon on the mount where he's kind of oh, going right. through the lines and he's going uh all right he's trying to do he's like uh, blessed are the salt uh, the salt salt loses its flavor no that doesn't work he's trying to he's he, there's right. 10 seconds of screen time and those 10 seconds of jesus by himself wrestling with a phrase um have, have been the most controversial thing i've done on the whole show salt preserves from corruption if it loses its saltiness it doesn't do what it it no. No. If salt has lost its flavor, its, it's salty taste, it's... Rabbi, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, I've had people who loved the show who said, I can no longer support the show because you are not portraying Jesus as God. That very same 10 seconds, we heard from as many or more people saying... Oh, goodness, that was so meaningful to me because I have prepped for my sermon before or I have wrestled before I had to say something with what to say and knowing that Jesus did too and knowing it's not a sin, it's just human. And, oh, that was so meaningful and to me. And, and that is constant. Uh, the music for every time we hear um, you know what this music feels so out of place for me it doesn't feel like Jesus uh, it was too aggressive it was, uh, the opening credit song just totally took me out of it it doesn't fit the tone of the show we've heard ten times as many people say that was the coolest thing I have ever heard it made me know this was a kind of Jesus show I can watch and I loved it you know so 
It is, it is a constant tension. And the superpower that I have, and I hope this comes across properly, is that I just simply don't care. Um, <laughs> because God took all of that out of me. I used to be more uh, a narcissist. I used to be someone who cared about success or failure. I used to read comments and YouTube videos, uh, positive or negative, that impacted me. And uh, after the failure of my last film, where I got to a point where I wasn't even sure if I was ever going to make another show or movie the rest of my life. And I just kind of was broken and surrendered and gave it all away and just said, I just want to be in your will. And I just want to be responsible for the loaves and fishes that I provide. And if you want to feed 5,000 with them, that's up to you. Once I got to that point, God goes, now you're ready for the chosen. Right. Um, and I think uh, I'm, I'm at this point uniquely suited for a show like this that's outside the system that is so um, unique. Um, and I say that uh, with all humility because I think I'm uniquely suited for it because I don't care about whether it's successful or not. And I feel free to just try things and do what feels uh, great as long as I feel like I'm honoring God in the process. So I know that may sound a little bit, I don't know if that's how that sounds. It may sound a little bit arrogant, like, oh, I don't care what anyone thinks so I can do what I want. It, it, I do feel a tremendous, tremendous weight and responsibility, but it's to God, not to YouTube comments. We're going to step away from my conversation with Dallas for just a couple minutes, but we'll be right back after this. I would like to thank our new Patreon supporters for helping us make this show possible. Our patrons get early access to higher quality audio files of each episode that they can download. We also do some Zoom meetups and more, and we'll soon have some Patreon-only swag available. If you'd like to support this show by joining our Patreon circle, you can find the link on the show notes page, or just go to patreon.com slash truetunes and check it out. Thank you for continuing to tell your friends about this show. If you have taken the time to write and post a review and give us a five-star rating at Apple Podcasts, that means so much. If not, please do. Please keep posting links and inviting folks in your world into this conversation. Our best and pretty much only marketing is you. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor on this show, drop me a line at jjt at truetunes.com. All right, back into the studio with my conversation with Dallas Jenkins. One of the things that I really enjoyed talking with Dan and Matthew about, and this is something I've worked um, on some film projects, and I've heard a couple of different directors tell me that they're conflicted about the way music impacts their work, especially if they've written the film as well, because uh, one one director I worked with in particular felt that he wished his scene could just be. He wrote those lines and he worked with those actors. He got this great performance out of the actors. They edited the thing and he felt like it, it's just great. Do we really need music there telling people what how to feel and, and what to think? Like, do we really need to babysit them emotionally through this moment? as a writer and creator now of this thing, um, how has that tension played out for you? Uh, do you enjoy this process? Do you kind of do it because you know it has to be there? Uh, how, and now that you've got this collaboration going with Dan and Matthew, um, how is it feeling as it actually unfolds? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, I think um, it's happened as many times where I have said to them, I think we need music and they've said no. 
uh, as it has happened vice versa. Um, I, uh, I don't really believe that in the concept that music is inherently something that you pull in because you need it and that if you need it too often that reflects a weakness in the writing. Um, I think that sometimes you need it the same way you need wardrobe or makeup or a camera angle or to go slow motion versus regular speed or a certain light. Um, you know, you, you, could, you could make the argument that by adding lights, that's weak because, you know, you should just be able to be so naturalistic that you shouldn't need all these extra uh, uh, elements to, to fix a problem that you shouldn't have created in the first place. So I say that to say that there are times when uh, no music is good because uh, the way the scene was constructed and the the tension that's been built is such that music would feel intrusive. But then there's other times where from the beginning of the writing of the scene, I knew that I would need a, a note um, or, a, or, a, or a pad or some sort of musical moment that just like anything else I use uh, in all of the tools that I have in, available to me just causes the audience to lean, lean in for a moment. Right. It's impossible for an audience to lean in for 45 straight minutes of a, of a, of a traditional, uh, a typical length of an episode. Uh, Quentin Tarantino, who's, who's you know one of the great uh, you know cineasts in history, um, talks about all the time about how all the time he knows that there's moments where the audience has kind of settled in, and part of that's on purpose. He's done that on purpose to kind of let them relax, settle in, lean back, and then there's sometimes you just have to go. You know, you have to snap your fingers and have them look up for a second. And music can be a powerful tool to do that. So I, uh, all I can tell you is that Matt, Dan, and I, it is extraordinary how often we're on the same page. Um, where we just, I'll go, do you think we need something here? And they'll go, no. And I go, huh, funny, neither did I. And, uh, or they, they'll say, I don't think we need something here. And I'll go, uh, I do think we need you know, a single guitar note that just comes in every couple seconds. And they'll go, oh, well, if, yeah, well, sure, that'd be great. I mean, I think they're so used to or assuming that that music is either overly emotive and, and significant and, and, uh, and, uh, and loud or, or there's none of it. And I, th and I think we feel the freedom to just kind of occasionally just let it kind of creep in, just kind yeah. of present. It's like, an, it's like the sound of the wind just kind of comes in there. I think that's probably, I think I feel like you've said that in your conversations with them too, that you've appreciated about that, that a lot of times when the music comes in, it's just... It's 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 just an it's just an element. It's like a mood element. Yeah. Uh, it's just a layer on a, on a bed of of other of other things we're doing. Yeah, yeah. I think I would I had mentioned that one of my favorite things that rooftop scene with Nicodemus that I got so caught up in it and I was really trying to notice the music, but I I thought oh I just I got so pulled into the scene and so that I couldn't remember if there was even music in it. And, yeah. and I had and, to go back and watch, and I thought, that's a sign that it was right, because when I did listen to it, it was perfect. The music was so good, and it yeah. was so well done, and I thought, that's really the way it should be. It, there was music, and it was very thoughtfully done, and it was, it, it was brought in and out just right, and it never drew unnecessary attention to itself. Yeah, that that's a great example, that Nicodemus scene on the roof, because, and I, I, th I, th I don't remember if it was Dan or Matt who talked about this, I think it was Matt, but, um, you know, they were like, the acting is so beautiful in this scene, and, and we, we don't want to intrude with music. 
and and so they didn't start it until near near the very end and i and i said you're right but if we wait until the very end it will be so intrusive when it comes in it will be so noticeable that i think it'll it'll potentially be distracting so i was wanting to move it back to earlier in the scene but just in a very um, you know, Friday Night Lights-ish kind of way. Friday Night mm-hmm. Lights, the show, which is very influential on this. Oh, but just, yeah. it's just going to be there. It's going to be there. It's going to come in. But, but one of the reasons is, besides just kind of setting a bed of, of atmosphere for what they're talking about, I didn't want it to be so intrusive when it came in that you realize, gosh, there hasn't been music for the last eight minutes, and now I'm hearing it. I wanted it to right. just be a natural progression. And so that's one of those times where sometimes you add music just so that the climactic moment of music doesn't feel like it's out of left field. How can these things be? Ah, a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things, huh? I'm trying, Rabbi. I know. I know. Listen. What do you hear? The wind. How do you know it's the wind? Because I can feel it. I hear its sound. Do you know where it comes from? No. Do you know where it's going? No. That's what it is to be born again of the Spirit. The spirit may work in a way that is a mystery to you. And while you cannot see the spirit, you can recognize his effect. Mind is consumed with thoughts of what a stir these words would cause among the teachers of the law. Yes, and I do not expect otherwise. I speak of what I know and have seen. And it has not been received by the religious leaders. It is hard to receive. So if I have told you of earthly things, and you do not believe, how can I tell you heavenly things? I did not come to deliver the people from Rome. Then from what? From sin. From spiritual death. God loves the world in this way. That he gave his only son whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life God did not send his son into the world to condemn it Nicodemus he sent him to save it through him I my whole life I have wondered if I would see this day follow me see more and then there's other times like the end of i guess is it the end of season one the walking away from the woman at the well or is at the beginning of season two when it's very tarantino it's very like you know usual suspects or something like that it's you know like a western you know and and that's over the top and fun and you know a gang of guy and i just thought that is another great way to kind of get people to lean in and be excited and because I came to it so late, I could just go right into the next thing. But I could see why when you end something that way, you're like, oh, I can't wait for the next thing. You know, that, the music really yeah. helped with that. So, I have food to eat that you do not know about. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. It's been a long time of sowing, but the fields are ripe for harvest. And so it's time. Let's go. Yes! <laughs> Mm-hmm. 
Write this down in the water, watch the mud rise up. Dress me like a lamb for the slaughter, pour me in your cup. Should've known we'd bring trouble, and trouble gonna find you here. What kind of role does music play in your life on a day-to-day basis in, in general and then while you're writing and working on the on the project? Like you're working on season three right now. How, how does music factor into your life generally? I find that some of the best storytellers in, 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 in art are, are musicians. Um, so... I listen to music a lot. I'm not an uh, uh, I'm not an artsy guy by nature. Um, I'm, I'm a bit of a philistine when it comes to music compared to you, compared to Dan and Matt. Uh, you know, I, sometimes I I, I like uh, Jonas Brothers and and uh, I mean Jars of Clay is my favorite band of all time. So I guess I have some art artistry in me. But uh, for me, it really is. Uh, it's all about storytelling for me. It's it's less about the, the musical artistry of it although i do appreciate that but uh, i do love uh, music as a way of just kind of exercising my storytelling muscle typically when i'm about to write i start listening to some music i don't listen to music while i'm writing that never ever works Mm. Um, but uh, i I oftentimes take pauses just to and and i do i know dan uh, and matt don't this isn't their world but i do love worship music sometimes uh, partially because when i'm writing uh, the show uh, and I'm writing about Jesus, and I'm falling in love with Jesus so much as as we're writing about him. I, I want to worship, and I and 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 I don't want to necessarily contemplate, and I just want to like tell Jesus how awesome he is. And and uh, there's some there's some you know Nashville worship artists who just scratch that itch for me, and so I love listening to that. And then there's other times where I need to I need to you know sing or listen to songs about pain, and uh, so I, I it all depends on what mood I'm in and what mood I need to get in. Uh, but yeah, it's it's not quite at the level of of, of you guys, but it's it's uh, it's for sure an important part. And I found that I found that musicians have been uniquely appreciative of the show, especially Christian musicians or musicians who are believers. Maybe it's because there's been such a lack for so long of movies and television that reflect their faith that they've been able to connect with, uh, and that this is came along. And you know, I've heard just from so many musicians and people like yourself who've said. Uh, I didn't watch the show for two years because I couldn't. I just assumed it was going to suck, yeah. and uh, and then when they finally watched it, they're like, "Oh my gosh, uh, something I can really sink my teeth into." And so I, it's made me realize that there is this kind of mutual fangirling that happens between, uh, you know, filmmakers and and our uh, musicians. That there's something there. There's something to the storytelling aspect of it that that is hard to define. But I think there's a, uh, it's on the same wavelength in the brain. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more of my conversation with Dallas Jenkins after this. 
Back in the good old days, I used to make specially curated mixed discs for the gallery stage at the Cornerstone Festival every year. A couple of years ago, I started creating a weekly mix on Spotify in that same tradition. In fact, I call it the True Tunes Gallery Stage Mixtape, and if you follow it, you'll find around 40 songs in it every week, from great hits and underground classics of the past to brand new tracks you won't want to miss. Check it out and let me know what you think. The Gallery Stage Mixtape is just one more way True Tunes helps you listen to better music and listen to music better together. You can find it right now on the homepage at truetunes.com. A big congrats to Michael Bartell, the winner of our massive summer gift box. Michael has been a longtime supporter of everything we do here, so it was awesome to see his name come up in the random name picker. Michael is also the founder and executive director of Free International, a fantastic group that has been working to end human trafficking in the U.S. since 2007. You can learn more at at Free International, and I encourage you to do just that. We will put the link up on the show notes page for this episode as well. Okay, back to the studio and my conversation with Dallas Jenkins. You're kind of stepping into a tradition or in a community and a con- continuum, if I don't, not to get too self-important about it, but on that continuum, we've got everything from people making very specifically Christian or devotional music largely for Christians to consume, but you've also got, uh, you know, in the middle, you maybe have like the Switchfoots or the Jars of Clays or the artists who want to bring their spiritual perspective into their work. And then all the way on the other side, you've got the 21 Pilots and the Bob Dylans and the U2s that are bringing their faith to it and intentionally saying, this is literally for everybody. And film has also kind of had a a similar although there's not really the gradients it's pretty much like there are films that incorporate ideas that are interesting from a spiritual perspective and then there's christian movies you know that are really only made for christians and if you're not a christian you're not going to understand uh, or really resonate with the story when you're pulling this together creatively you've you've done something that seems like it has the potential to reach everybody it's not just made for Christians. It's kind of like, I'm going to tell this story in a way that everybody can relate to it because uh, it, this is the story, this is kind of coming from a different perspective. Was that an intentional perspective for you as you set out? Uh, was that something you said, this is a story, I'm going to tell this in a way that everybody can relate to this as opposed to this is really engaged for the church? It, it's such a great conversation to have and I hope this doesn't sound like a cop-out answer, but I, I honestly, when we're when I first set out to do it, and when we write, we're not thinking of anyone in particular other than, again, my really genuinely passionate desire to make sure that I'm not violating the intentions and character of Jesus and the Gospels. But after that, I'm just trying to make a, 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 as good of a, a show as I can possibly make. Um, I believe that I am trying to, and I think that the response indicates that we've been relatively successful. I'm trying to capture these people, these first century Galileans. And these first century Galileans had something really extraordinary happen to them in the midst of their culture and in the midst of their history. And uh, I'm not actually, I mean, I'm a, a Gentile. I'm from, I'm from Illinois. 
uh, I am approaching these first century primarily Jews, but also Romans and also some people from other countries who came in because Capernaum was a bit of a melting pot. And I'm, I'm approaching them in that sense. I'm not approaching this as a, um, a Bible story that is going to be couched in a lesson or couched in a, uh, a sermon series or anything. I'm just like, I'm just trying to really tell the authentic story of what happened to these people. And I happen to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and I believe that Jesus did miracles. I don't believe they were magic tricks, and I believe that he is who he says he was, and I believe that the Gospels accurately captured that. So because I believe that, you're going to see lots of things that Christians and uh, of all stripes are going to be really excited to see. It's not uh, um, Last Temptation of Christ, where I'm exploring what would it have looked like if he wasn't this way, and what would it have looked like if he would have had a relationship with Mary Magdalene, and I, I don't have any of the angst that a lot of uh, people have had when they've done Bible stories, but with different agendas. So I think I've been able to be in this kind of middle position of, I'm a very strong believer. I'm an evangelical. I come from a very strong church background. I'm passionate. I'm not angry about my past. I'm not an ex-evangelical. I believe it all. So I'm going to come at it with this optimistic, excited, Jesus is awesome perspective, and the Bible is true. But I'm also coming at it as an artist going, yeah, I've seen all the Jesus movies, and I've never been able to really relate to them because Jesus doesn't actually make for a really good main character of a drama. I mean, if you know anything about drama, which, which I know you do, uh, he, he's a, he, he fits into none of the categories of a good protagonist. Um, and so uh, that right there is a decision to make him basically one of several main characters, uh, I think just makes for a better television show. Um, mm -hmm. So I know this is a long answer to your question, but but uh, one of the things that you said in the conversation with Matt is you were talking about the audience that's been there for the show. You were saying the show seems like it's for everybody, but yet it's primarily popular among Christians. And that is true so far in terms of the numbers, but over half our cast and crew are not believers. Uh, and the cast who came into the show uh, were over the moon about the script, loved the show. They show it to all their friends, non-Christian friends, whatever, who all love the show. Uh, we hear every day from atheists, from people who discovered the show because someone showed it to them. Um, so I think that's going to change over time. But it's not because we're necessarily making these concerted efforts. All right, now we really got to go after atheists. We really got to go after evangelicals. We really got to go after Catholics. We gotta go after, we're just putting the show out there. It is totally free. It is totally easy to access. Uh, the fact that it's not on Netflix makes it less likely to be stumbled upon by a just ca casual non-believer going around their daily life. But it also is what makes the show what it is because we're doing it totally outside the system and no one's telling us how to do it. We're just doing it whatever we want. So there's strengths and weaknesses to all of it. Um, the fact that when it comes to publicity, um, you know, I know some people will say like, oh, I saw you on Fox News, but that just preaches to the converted. Why weren't you on MSNBC? And I'm like, because Fox News asked me to come on and NBC has, MSNBC hasn't. I mean, I'm ha I will go anywhere. I will talk to Playboy magazine and do an interview about the show. Maybe that's a bad example, but I'm, use, but I'm saying like, I'll talk to anybody about the show. I want the show to get in front of any, everybody who, who asks, but we can't force feed our way onto uh, outlets or areas that just aren't interested in talking about us yet. But I think that will come with time as they start to notice, huh, this thing has 250 million views so far and uh, has been in the top 50 entertainment apps in the world for the last year. Maybe it's something worth talking about. I just am not, I just don't care about that. I really don't, man. I really am just like, I'm just focused on making the best show that I can. And I really hope that lots of people like it. 
but um, I can't just I can't focus on who, who specifically it's for. It's just hard enough to make a show that's watchable. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, like, yeah. I, and that's the that's I, the artistic conundrum which you've already cracked because you've by not caring the way that you've not cared or by caring about the things you've cared about which is making a good piece of work and not caring about satisfying certain people you've already created something you've crafted something that even very hard to please people <laughs> like me are, right, right. I, I'm, I'm sold and and that's kind of where where that uh question comes from not from a um a cynical or a negative perspective but like boy i'd love for this thing to explode it's it's like the difference between jesus music in the 60s when people were just authentically singing about what was going on in their life and they were just making great work versus christian music when it became an industry and it was designed to entertain and encourage and christians and and really the as the industry evolved and as christian music and the evangelical subculture becomes a thing there's a mechanism for distributing product to that community and it's really more about reinforcing the the christian community than it is about impacting the world it doesn't it doesn't mean that that's yeah. what your intentions are it's just the way systems evolve and markets evolve and the fact that you've done this as a outside of that system is i think the reason that it's good but it kind of that do you know, you know marshall McLuhan? have you ever read any of marshall of McLuhan's? course yeah. So his idea yeah, of that the, the medium, medium is the message, is the message yeah. you know, like I was thinking about that related to the app and I'm like, okay, so like I get this app and, and I can, this has got its own app. And on one hand, that means they're free from both CBA, Christian bookstore association, Christian religious denominational. I was on a movie set once on a faith-based film and they literally had people from the Southern Baptist on set to make sure that it met their criteria and a, a guy had a tattoo showing and they had to like change his shirt so that the tattoo was covered up because they said that was a huge problem. And it was like, come on, you've got to be kidding me. Right. They're, they're right. tweaking the work to satisfy these religious people. And, and it's making the work worse, right? You don't have to do any of that kind of stuff. So that's a, a, in a way uh, the medium being the message, but on another hand, the whole world has to go find you as opposed yeah. to it being out there like the way I finally got to watch it because it was on Peacock. And so I was right. watching something else on Peacock and I'm like, okay, enough people have told me about this thing. I'm just going to try it. And then I get pulled in. And so I, I think that medium being the message is part of that question about being attractional versus being missional. Like, are we expecting the, the audience to come to us versus us going to them? Do you think that over time after these are all done, do you envision this being kind of an incubator, the app and the ecosystem you have, but then later pushing it out to the world through a Hulu, Netflix, HBO, that kind of thing? Or is it always going to stay kind of an independent um, ecosystem like you've got now? Well, we're 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 trying to build our own system, and and our part distribution partners are you know Angel Studios. I mean, they're they're building an ecosystem, and and it's not in their best interest to uh, have the show uh, all seven seasons available with all their competitors. I mean, just like Netflix oh, when they first started wasn't right. putting their show on Amazon. I mean, you can't find Netflix shows anywhere else but Netflix because right. they're right. trying to build their own ecosystem. So there is a I piece see. of that. However, we did put it on. It's on Peacock. It's on six right. or seven different. Um, season one is at least, and the main reason for that is somewhat selfish in that it's like, look, we you know people will watch season one, 
and then they'll be like, I want to watch season two. Where do yep. I go? And they, yep, they exactly. go to the app. So there is some strategy there for sure. But uh, and, and, and it changes all the time. But I do think well, I mean, what you said is true. And by the way, when we go to like I've been in the business for over 20 years. And when I when I've done faith based movies for Hollywood studios, like when I went to the Hollywood studios and they liked the script and they liked me and they liked the project. And so they're going to do it. They pushed to be Christian oh, yeah. uh, focused more than, more than even yes. I did. I mean, and Dan <laughs> yeah, exactly. talks about that with his album. I mean, right. they're like, yeah. no, right. the reason we're doing this is because it's going to make money in the Christian market. So right. it's just, that's just smart marketing is, is, exactly. is the world is becoming niche. We're going to do it. So doing this outside the system has allowed us to be free from all different uh, influences. Right. But you are absolutely correct that making it on its own app adds a, a, a slight barrier uh, that makes it more difficult to find than if it was on Netflix. However, there was a time when everyone who wanted to watch House of Cards because they heard about it from their friends or they saw a headline on it or they saw Facebook people talking about it, they eventually had to bite the bullet and download Netflix and figure out what this whole thing was about and then they watched right. the show. And that is, the, that is the hope with us as well. And my hope is that, yes, it started with hardcore evangelical Christians who were passionate because it's a Jesus show and, uh, and then they st told their friends. And then over time, it started to then get to the Dan Hasseltines of the world and people like yourself who are believers, but you know, disillusioned with traditional evangelical church culture, skeptical of Christian media in general, um, people on the fence, people who've been burned by church, all that stuff. That is the wave that is starting to catch on to it now. And then the hope is, that uh, you will tell, I mean, I'm sure you have many non-believing friends, just like I do, and that you'll be like, guys, this is a little different. Like, this is something I think you can appreciate, just like I appreciated Game of Thrones, which had a completely different worldview than my own, uh, but I can still appreciate, you know, the stories of a different culture. And, uh, but we've never had the money to just throw $20 million at TV ads so that everyone right. in the world can see it. We've had to kind of rely on this word of mouth and this relationship between myself and the fans. And hopefully over time, it will just continue to grow like it has. To me, there's no simple answer. There's no simple answer Correct. to any interesting questions. And I think that the challenge that we've got, especially the way our fragmented, siloed media culture is, yeah. is that um, I, I keep going back to saying, well, then how was Jesus talking in his culture? He was he was communicating both confrontationally and in troublemaking ways and also in highly relevant parables and he was shifting and he was strategic and he was humorous and he was sarcastic and at the end of the day he was saying render unto caesar what is caesar's and unto god what is god's he was pushing that job of discernment back on us and yep. uh you know that's that means that it's it's never we're, we cannot abdicate that job as if we're going to be disciples, we can't abdicate that job of discipleship to somebody else and say, you yeah. tell me what's Christian and what's secular, and, and then I'll trust you. we got to be engaged yeah. in all that stuff. So, um, Yeah, we've had to—and well, what's funny is, um, you know, my dad, who wrote the Left Behind books, which were— uh, 25 years ago, this became this cultural phenomenon where uh, they, 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 they were 
quote-unquote crossed over. They were selling so well that Barnes & Noble and Amazon were featuring them. And But then what happened? He, or Barnes & Noble and Amazon and them started creating religious sections. And yeah. so uh, even now when you go into Barnes & Noble, you're looking for a Christian book. you got to go to the religious section and see all the, the same kinds of things and books yeah. and trinkets. And then on the other hand, um, I've found that uh, when we're hearing from people who will say to me, uh, I hear two things. One is, why don't you um, put at the beginning of the of, the, uh, of each episode or at the end of each episode an altar call, you know, a, a, an opportunity to, to for people to come to Christ after they watch it? Or why aren't you putting, uh, you know, make some tracks? Why aren't you? They're asking us for these certain things that make it easy. And I go, well, why don't you do that? Exactly. Like, like, like. Hey, first of all, this is, I have to keep telling people, this is a TV show. This is not a documentary. It's not a sermon series. So just like any other TV show you watch, you're not going to see, you know, uh, when you're watching, you know, a historical drama and you don't see up on the page, this came from page 316 of this book that we're basing it on. Um, just like we're not going to say this came from Psalms, you know, 47 or whatever it is. Right. So, uh, but on the other hand, I hear people saying, well, why don't you, you get this in front of more non-believers? And I go, y you can do that. Like... The show is free. We're putting it out there. It's on an app that you can find in the app store. It is in no Christian sections. It is in no religious sections. And it is in no, not, it, it is just there and easy and access accessible to anybody. You don't even need to give your email address to watch it. Yeah, but I that's mean, what that's you're talking point. about is you have friendships, yeah. you build trust. People say, well, I trust him. I trust her. I trust what they're saying. But then watch it. Talk about it. What did you get out of that? What, you know, and that's yeah. otherwise we're just sitting and consuming media like we're just couch potatoes just absorbing stuff the whole point of this what we talk about our theme here is listen to better music listen to music better and then we do that together yeah. like the, the whole point of this is that we can sit around and talk and iron can sharpen iron and we can build our relationships otherwise we're just consuming and consuming and consuming and yeah. that's just that's not that's not the, a good way to be human um, yeah, so, and let's yeah. not rely on the let's not rely on the musician or the filmmaker right. to do the work we're supposed to be doing. And exactly. you know, well, you right. put a put a call to you know an altar call at the end, and I, that's why I was saying like, well, you can do that, or get it in front of more people. You you can do that. Like right. you participate in this. You get it to the to your friends, and we we'll, yeah. we'll we'll give you the tools to do that by hopefully making a show that they'll like. So do you have anything you'd like to see happen? Any kind of um, avenues you'd like to go down musically that you haven't done yet? Uh, as Because you've got you know several seasons left. Now that you feel like you've got this chemistry worked out and things are clicking? Well, we, we've started to think about... Um, I mean, again, I always focus on one season at a time, but uh, there, there have been a couple times where... We've had an idea for a song. Like I know Dan mentioned Buddy Guy. Um, you know, we, we love Buddy Guy uh, and his music. And, and there's been a couple of times where we've thought, is this, is this a time for a Buddy Guy song? Or is this? And, and, and we've ended up thinking, no, let's save that for, for season six. Season six is the crucifixion season. And, um, and there's some things that we really want to uh, explore and, and see if they work. Um, and uh, that, that are just 
going to be completely like th that that's going to be a moment that has been done more than anything else in, in, in telling the Jesus story it's been done dozens of times and so uh, we're gonna you know uh, stylistically I've got some ideas for what I want to do just in terms of what I'm capturing on film but also uh, what we want to do musically so there's there's some chances we want to take that we haven't quite taken yet um, where we just instead of hinting at a at a at a certain style, we're going to just go for it. Mm -hmm. But uh, other than that, you know, we love what we've been doing so far. I mean, I've just I, I just think Dan and Matt have been extraordinary uh, contributors to the story of this uh, of this show, and uh, and and so it's like why why mess with what's working? But part of what's working is occasionally turning left and going, let's just toss this in there and see what happens. Oh. We love that. All right, we're doing it because we like it. And, and uh, that will continue to happen, I'm sure. Awesome. That's great. Well, thanks for taking some time with us, man, and, and uh, closing out this little series. And hopefully we'll, we'll talk again and we'll, we'll keep talking about this. And, and it's, uh, it's, it's fun to see something like this happen. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, I'm so glad to talk to you. And I, I apologize if at times I came off a little strident. I just am passionate about these issues. And you were, yeah. you, were, uh, you, were, you were stimulating some of my passions about it. So I really appreciate it. <laughs> That's great. That's going to do it for this special edition of the True Tunes podcast. I appreciate Dallas's willingness to plow ahead with his work thoughtfully without offering simple answers to complicated questions. I do hope that The Chosen will continue to reach far beyond the confines of the faithful because it's just really good storytelling. I also hope that these in-depth conversations with Dallas, as well as Matthew S. Nelson and Dan Hasseltine, have been inspiring and helpful for you all. I know they have been for me. Again, you can find Season 1 of The Chosen on Peacock, but Season 2 is currently only available on the free Chosen TV app. Oh, and I can't wait for you to hear what we have coming next. Gospel artist, producer, arranger, and worship leader Myron Butler joins us soon to talk about his own life and work and his award-winning tribute to the songs of the legendary Andre Crouch. And we'll spin Aretha Franklin's breathtaking Amazing Grace LP on the jukebox. It's a gospel music meltdown on the next episode of the True Tunes podcast. Make sure to follow or subscribe on your favorite platform so you don't miss it. It is harder than ever for us to stay connected. There is so much noise out there that it can be impossible to lock in on the signals we really want to hear. When it comes to the True Tunes conversation, there are a few things you can do that will really help us stay connected with you. First, sign up on our email list. It really is important to know that we can communicate directly with you without having to pay a middleman like Facebook for you to see what we post. Second, make sure to watch for the confirmation email and confirm it when it comes. Then, add us to your contacts so our messages don't get caught in your spam filters. Next, find us on Facebook, at TrueTunesNow, and like us there. Find us on Instagram, at TrueTunesMusic, and follow us there. And you can follow me on Twitter, at John J. Thompson. Thanks. Thanks, as always, to my co-producer and engineer, Bruce A. Brown. Thanks also to Phil Keggy and Rex Paul for our theme song, and thanks to the producers of The Chosen for letting us use so much music from the series. And you can find a complete list of all of the music used on this episode and some cool photos and links on the show notes page at truetunes.com. 
The contents of the podcast are protected by U.S. copyright law and are the intellectual property of Gyroscope Productions, with the exception of songs or clips that are from previously copywritten materials. Everything on this episode is used by permission or under fair use provisions. This program is intended for the private use of our listening audience. Gyroscope Productions can be reached at JJT at TrueTunes.com or P.O. Box 60401, Nashville, Tennessee, 37206. Until next time, this is JJT thanking you for joining us as we continue on our mission to listen to better music and listen to music better together on the True Tunes Podcast. Have you noticed that no matter where we go recently, we are more and more misunderstood? Definitely. It's a very complicated time.